Hello, everyone, and welcome to A History of the World According to War, Episode 9. We just wrapped up a series on the Greco-Persian Wars. Victor, what do we have in store for our listener today? Hello, Brett, and hello, everyone tuning in. Today, we're going to embark on a new chapter in Greek history. Following the Greco-Persian Wars, we'll explore the period known as the Golden Age of Athens, which saw the city-state rise to its zenith in power and influence. Then we'll delve into the complex web of alliances and rivalries among the Greek city-states, leading up to the First Peloponnesian War. It's a period full of political intrigue, cultural flourishing, and military strategizing, so hold on to your seats. Awesome, and I'm looking forward to this new period, learning about the key players and seeing how our world shifts as we march forward through history. When we last talked, the Greco-Persian Wars had just wrapped up. The Greek city-states were largely independent, but the Delian League played a role in unifying them, if I remember correctly. Peace had been negotiated between the Greeks and the Persians after the Greeks drove back the Persian invasion. Is that a fair assessment of where we are right now, Victor? Yes, that's a good summary, Brett. After the Greco-Persian Wars... Athens became the leading power among the Greek city-states, largely due to its naval dominance and leadership role in the Delian League. The League had originally been formed to continue the fight against Persia, but it increasingly served to extend Athenian influence over other Greek city-states. It's this period of Athenian dominance, from around 460 to 430 BC, that we call the Golden Age of Athens. So, were the Greek city-states welcoming of the Athenian influence, or were they more resistant to it? There were mixed feelings about Athens' rise in power. Some city-states appreciated the protection and stability that Athenian leadership could offer, especially against any further Persian aggression. However, others were less comfortable with the idea of being under the influence or control of another Greek city-state. This tension eventually contributed to the outbreak of the Peloponnesian War. I assume we're going to get there in this episode. Tell me a little bit more about the Golden Age of Athens. What factors led into this Golden Age? The Golden Age of Athens is often attributed to the leadership of Pericles, who served as the city's leader for more than 30 years beginning in 461 BC. Under Pericles, Athens became a cultural, intellectual, and military powerhouse. Several factors contributed to this Golden Age. One was the wealth and power Athens gained from leading the Delian League, which allowed for the funding of public works, arts, and military endeavors. The victory over the Persians also boosted Athenian confidence and prestige. This era also saw the development of democracy in its early form, with Pericles extending political involvement to a wider portion of the population. This allowed for greater civic participation and encouraged a vibrant intellectual culture. Additionally, Athens attracted thinkers, artists, and intellectuals from around the Greek world. This period gave rise to renowned figures like Socrates, Herodotus, Sophocles, and Euripides, and witnessed the construction of iconic structures like the Parthenon. It sounds like a lot of what we think of when we think about Greek history actually came to light during this Golden Age. Was this a relatively peaceful time? The term Golden Age might suggest a period of absolute peace, but the reality is more nuanced. While Athens did experience significant cultural and intellectual growth during this time, it was also a period marked by imperial ambitions, political tensions, and intermittent conflicts. Although the Peace of Callias supposedly brought an end to hostilities with Persia around 449 BC, the Greek world itself was far from harmonious. 
Athens, as the head of the Delian League, found itself in disputes with other member states and rival powers like Sparta and Corinth. In fact, the Peloponnesian War, one of the most devastating conflicts in ancient Greek history, began during the later part of the Athenian Golden Age, in 431 BC. So while it was a time of great achievements, it was not a period of uninterrupted tranquility. That makes sense. I can't think of any time in history where everybody is getting along. So what notable events might we be familiar with that occurred during the Golden Age of Athens? The Golden Age of Athens was an era of great cultural and intellectual development, and it is responsible for many of the elements of classical Greek civilization that are most familiar to us today. One of the most recognizable symbols of ancient Greece, the Parthenon was built between 447 and 432 BC as a temple to the city's patron goddess, Athena. It was part of a wider building program initiated by Pericles, which also included other structures on the Acropolis. Also, this was the era of Socrates, whose ideas and methods would be hugely influential in the development of Western philosophy. His student, Plato, also began his work during the later part of this period. Additionally, Pericles introduced reforms that paid citizens for their participation in the government, which allowed a greater range of people, not just the wealthy, to take part in the democratic process. Finally, the historians Herodotus and Thucydides wrote their famous works during this period. Herodotus is often called the father of history for his work on the Greco-Persian Wars, while Thucydides' account of the Peloponnesian War is still studied for its detailed and analytical approach. Wow, I guess I didn't realize that the Golden Age of Athens contributed so much to what we know about ancient history today. So is there anything else that we need to know about that before we start setting the stage for the Peloponnesian War? It might be helpful to know about the balance of power during the Golden Age of Athens, as it directly influenced the events leading up to the Peloponnesian War. Yeah, that's a really good point. Let's dig into that. Athens, at the height of its power, was the foremost city-state in Greece due to its naval prowess and the Delian League. The wealth and influence gained from leading this league allowed Athens to build a strong, influential democracy and fund its grand building projects. But this rising power and influence of Athens didn't go unnoticed. Many Greek city-states, including the powerful Sparta and its allies, saw the Athenian Empire's growth as a threat to their autonomy. The fear and unease this caused played a significant role in igniting the tensions that would eventually lead to the Peloponnesian War. Additionally, towards the end of this golden age, the political scene in Athens was becoming more volatile. There was increasing dissatisfaction with the perceived imperialistic policies of Athens, both within the city and among its allies. These tensions, political and social, would soon have profound implications, leading to the outbreak of the Peloponnesian War. How did the formation of the Delian League affect the relationships between Athens and the other Greek city-states? The Delian League initially played a significant role in unifying the Greek city-states against the common threat of the Persian Empire. However, as the threat of Persian invasion waned, Athens, which had established itself as the de facto leader of the League, began to use it as a tool to extend its own influence and power across Greece. Athens moved the treasury of the League from Delos to Athens effectively solidifying their control over the League's finances. They also began demanding tributes from the member city-states instead of military support, which further enhanced Athens' own financial and military power. Many of the city-states were not thrilled with the Athenian dominance and perceived it as oppressive. They began to chafe under Athenian rule, leading to growing tensions. 
Athens enforced strict measures against any city-state that tried to leave the League, often resorting to military force to quell rebellions and maintain control. So while the Delian League initially enhanced the unity among the Greek city-states, its transformation into an Athenian empire significantly strained Athens's relations with other city-states, leading to a growing divide between Athens and the rest of Greece. These tensions were a significant factor in the lead-up to the Peloponnesian War. As tensions are rising between Athens and the Greek city-states, what events unfold to escalate the situation? The first significant event leading to tensions was when the island of Naxos tried to leave the Delian League around 469 BC. Instead of allowing this, Athens used military force to keep them in line. This marked the first time Athens forcefully asserted its dominance over an ally, setting a worrying precedent for the other city-states. Let me make sure I've got this straight. So Naxos is getting tired of the Delian League and wants to leave. Athens responds by using force, and this is the first time that they've ever done this, to quell what would likely lead to a rebellion. Other city-states take a really strong notice to this, likely wondering what this means for their own relationships with Athens, right? Exactly. The treatment of Naxos by Athens stirred suspicion and unease among other members of the Delian League. They started to see that Athens could and would use its military might to suppress their own will, turning the alliance more into an empire dominated by Athens. This shift created a growing divide between Athens and the other city-states, further sowing the seeds of conflict. Okay, so that, that really starts some of this division that we're, that we're anticipating here leading up to the Peloponnesian War. What happens next? Well, next we see the city of Thassos attempting to leave the Dalian League in 465 BC. Similar to Naxos, Thassos was also a wealthy city and an important source of revenue for the League. Thassos decided to rebel due to disagreements over control of the rich gold mines and timber on the mainland opposite the island. Again, Athens forcefully prevented Thassos from leaving the League and laid siege to the city for three years. Finally, in 462 BC, Thassos surrendered and its walls were torn down, its fleet was confiscated, and it had to pay reparations to Athens. This incident further affirmed to other city-states that Athens would not hesitate to use force to maintain control of the League. These events escalated the growing tension between Athens and other Greek city-states, especially Sparta. Seems like Athens might be getting a little too big for its britches. I remember when Athens and Sparta used to get along so well, especially during the battles of Thermopylae and Salamis. It makes me a little sad to see their relationship deteriorating like this. Indeed, it's quite a shift from their united front against the Persians. This decline in relations between Athens and Sparta was a complex process, driven by various factors. Among these were differing political ideologies. Athens was a democracy while Sparta was a military oligarchy, and growing Athenian dominance in the Aegean region which was seen as a threat by Sparta. Perhaps one of the most significant factors was the earthquake that struck Sparta in 464 BC. Whoa, okay, I get how an earthquake creates a natural division, but how does it create a political division? This natural disaster caused significant damage to the city and resulted in a large loss of life. Furthermore, it led to a significant revolt among the helots, the enslaved population that provided the agricultural labor in Sparta. Sparta requested assistance to quell the rebellion from its allies, including Athens. However, the type of assistance Athens provided a force of hoplites or heavy infantry, was not what the Spartans were expecting. Fearful of the Athenians encouraging further revolts, Sparta sent them home, 
This event was a major diplomatic incident that significantly damaged the relationship between Athens and Sparta. Dang, so Sparta is really in a time of need, and then Athens kind of provides some lackluster support, and that just damages their relations even further. What's the next event in the road to the Peloponnesian War? The next significant event is the conflict between the Delian League, led by Athens, and the city-state of Corinth. Corinth was a member of the Peloponnesian League, which was led by Sparta. In 433 BC, Athens became involved in a dispute between Corinth and its colony, Corsera, which is modern-day Corfu. Corfu? I've been to Corfu. I stayed at a hostel on the island. That's awesome. That's unenforced. Today, Corfu is known for its beautiful beaches and historic sites. But during the time we're discussing, it was a major naval power in the ancient Greek world. The conflict between Corfu and Corinth was a significant contributing factor to the Peloponnesian War. It's interesting how these historic sites we visit have such rich and impactful histories. Anyway, seeing an opportunity to gain a valuable ally and check Corinthian power, Athens formed a defensive alliance with Corsaira. The Athenian navy intervened on Corsaira's behalf when Corinth attacked, leading to the Battle of Cybeta. This was a major battle, and one of the largest naval battles in the ancient world. It ended without a clear winner, but Corinth was furious at Athenian interference. The perceived violation of the Thirty Years' Peace and the growing alarm and hostility between Athens and members of the Peloponnesian League further pushed the Greek world closer to a large-scale war. You said that Corinth was a member of the Peloponnesian League led by Sparta. We haven't really touched on that. What, what is the Peloponnesian League? The Peloponnesian League was a military alliance in ancient Greece, with Sparta at its head. It was formed in the 6th century BC and included many of the city-states located on the Peloponnese Peninsula, which is a large peninsula in southern Greece. The primary aim of this alliance was mutual protection against external threats, but it was also aimed at counterbalancing the growing influence of Athens and the Delian League. Sparta, being a dominant military land power, was the undisputed leader of the League. The member states of the Peloponnesian League maintained a high degree of autonomy, but were bound to follow Sparta's lead in foreign policy and military matters. The Peloponnesian League played a significant role in the Peloponnesian War, as the principal adversary to Athens and the Delian League. The conflict between Corinth, a member of the Peloponnesian League, and Corfu, an ally of Athens, heightened tensions and served as one of the catalysts for the war. Yeah, I can see how these two competing governing bodies could lead to conflict. So this dispute over Corsera pours fuel on the fire between the Delian League and the Peloponnesian League, right? Absolutely. The dispute over Corsera, modern-day Corfu, added to the escalating tensions between the Delian League, led by Athens, and the Peloponnesian League, led by Sparta. This dispute brought both leagues one step closer to a direct conflict. Corsaira appealed to Athens for assistance, fearing that Corinth's attempt to control the island would tip the balance of power in favor of the Peloponnesian League. Athens, already worried about the growing influence of Sparta and its allies, agreed to help Corsaira, despite their non-aggression pact with Sparta. This move was viewed as an act of aggression by Corinth and Sparta, pushing them closer to declaring war on Athens and its allies, which eventually resulted in the First Peloponnesian War. What finally pushed them over the edge? What finally pushed them over the edge was the so-called Megarian Decree, issued by Athens around 432 BC. 
This was an economic sanction against the city-state of Megara, a member of the Peloponnesian League. The decree forbade Megara from trading with any city in the Athenian Empire, which was a significant blow to their economy. Athens imposed these sanctions after accusing Megara of violating sacred land. However, many historians believe that the Megarian decree was actually an excuse for Athens to exercise its power and control over the Delian League, and this was perceived as an intolerable act of aggression by the Spartans. The Peloponnesian League, led by Sparta, convened a congress of its members to discuss the actions of Athens. Sparta and its allies eventually decided that the Athenians had broken the peace, giving them a reason to declare war. This marked the beginning of the First Peloponnesian War, which began in earnest in 431 BC. How big is the Peloponnesian League in comparison to the Delian League? And is it still called the Delian League at this point? By the time the Peloponnesian War began, the Delian League had essentially become an Athenian empire. This shift from a mutual alliance to Athenian dominance happened gradually, with Athens gaining control over the League's treasury and using its powerful navy to enforce its will on other members. As for the size comparison, it's difficult to give an exact count due to the fluid nature of alliances and the fact that many smaller city-states were subjugated or influenced rather than being full members. However, the Delian League, or the Athenian Empire, was very extensive, encompassing most of the islands in the Aegean Sea and many coastal cities in Asia Minor. The Peloponnesian League, on the other hand, was primarily land-based and encompassed most of the Peloponnese Peninsula, with Sparta at its head. It included many significant city-states like Corinth and Megara. While not as expansive as the Athenian Empire in geographical terms, the Peloponnesian League was formidable, particularly due to Sparta's military reputation and the combined military forces of its members. That's a good point. Are the Spartans still the most fearsome warriors around, as they have been in the past? Yes, even at this point in history, Spartans still held the reputation as some of the most formidable warriors. The Spartiate, or Spartan citizen class, underwent a rigorous military training program known as the Agogi, which began in childhood and formed them into disciplined and effective soldiers. The Spartans' strict military society and their wholehearted dedication to the art of war were well known across Greece, making their military feared and respected. In contrast to many other Greek city-states, where military service was one aspect of a citizen's life, being a soldier was the central duty and identity for a Spartiate in Sparta. This distinction was a significant factor contributing to their fearsome reputation. However, it's important to note that while Spartans were renowned as individual warriors and for their land-based hoplite phalanx formation, the Athenians had developed a powerful navy, making them dominant at sea. This difference in military strength would play a significant role in the strategies and outcomes of the Peloponnesian War. I'm seeing the Peloponnesian War shaping up to be a conflict between land and sea. You keep mentioning the First Peloponnesian War as well as the Peloponnesian War. Is there a difference, and if so, can you explain that? Yes, you're correct in noting a distinction between the First Peloponnesian War and the Peloponnesian War. This is due to how historians categorize the periods of conflict between Athens and Sparta, along with their respective allies. The First Peloponnesian War, 460-445 BC. This was the initial period of conflict between the Delian League, led by Athens, and the Peloponnesian League, led by Sparta. It wasn't a continuous war, but rather a series of battles, 
and conflicts interspersed with periods of uneasy peace. It concluded with the Thirty Years' Peace, which, despite its name, lasted only about 14 years. Hold up. Why is it called the Thirty Years' Peace if it only lasted 14 years? The name Thirty Years' Peace refers to the intention of the treaty rather than its outcome. When Athens and Sparta agreed to the peace treaty in 446 or 445 BC, they intended for it to last 30 years. However, conflicts and tensions between the two powerful city-states and their allies were too great, leading to its breakdown after only 14 years. Okay, suffice to say, tensions are high. All right, tell me about the Peloponnesian War, not the First Peloponnesian War. This is often what people are referring to when they talk about the Peloponnesian War. It began when the uneasy peace following the First Peloponnesian War broke down. It was a more continuous and larger-scale conflict than the First Peloponnesian War and involved a broader area of Greece and even parts of the Persian Empire. The First Peloponnesian War sets the stage for the more well-known and consequential Peloponnesian War, as the events, tensions, and shifts in power during this earlier conflict laid the groundwork for the larger war to come. Right, and all the events that we've been talking about so far have led us up to the doorstep of the First Peloponnesian War, right? That's correct. The events we've discussed so far, including the rise of Athens, the formation and transformation of the Delian League, and the tensions with Sparta and its Peloponnesian League, have all set the stage for the outbreak of the First Peloponnesian War. The discontentment among the Greek city-states regarding Athens's growing power the ideological differences, and territorial disputes have all contributed to an atmosphere ripe for conflict. We'll see this tension escalate into full-blown warfare in the coming episodes as we delve into the First Peloponnesian War and the larger Peloponnesian War that follows. That sounds like a good plan. Is there anything else that we should cover before we dive into the First Peloponnesian War? There are always more details, but we've covered the key points to set the stage for the First Peloponnesian War. It's important to note that these conflicts are quite complex, with many factors and events leading up to and throughout the war. But we're in a good position to start exploring the war in our next episode. Okay, I like that. I know the last two episodes we really haven't dug into specific battles or conflicts, so I'm anxious to get back into that, as I'm sure our listener is as well. Thanks for sticking around, listener. Thank you for humoring us as we kind of set some of the context and kind of bridge the gap between some significant wars. Uh, stay tuned next episode when we start to unpack the first Peloponnesian War and kind of zoom back in a little bit. As always, I'm Brett on Twitter at Brett Fitzgerald. And I'm Victor, your AI co-host, on Twitter at Historian Victor. Remember, the threads of the past weave the tapestry of the present. The more we pull at those threads, the clearer the image becomes. Until next time, farewell. Farewell.